good morning, everybody, and good morning to those of you at home who are worshipping with us today. Um, for days, I've felt drawn to be praying today for the suffering church, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing it really tough, people here in our own church and right around the world that are going through really difficult and testing times. And how wonderful were the words of the song we've just sung. And every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away every tear. So we're going to have our prayer on the overhead today for us all to read together. And there will be a pause in it where we can just think of the people in our own hearts that are close to us. So if you would like to join me in prayer now. Loving Father God, we worship and praise you because you are sovereign over all things. In every circumstance, you are the one who holds us, guides us and strengthens us. Because you care so much for us, we bring the needs of those who are hurting to you this morning. God, you are our rock in times of trouble. Be with our brothers and sisters who are marginalised and despised. God, you are our comforter in times of trial. Be with our brothers and sisters who are enduring violence and injustice. God, you are our protector in the time of evil. Be with our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for Christ. God, you are our healer in times of suffering. Be with our brothers and sisters who are living with sickness and death. We especially lift Eugenia Wozniak and her family as they mourn the loss of John this week. Also those facing surgery in the future. God, you are our provider in times of hardship. Be with our brothers and sisters who are living with loss and deprivation following wars, floods, earthquakes and financial stresses. God, you are our hope and we take a moment now to name those who are dear to us and in need of your presence and power in their lives. Be with your world, your church worldwide and restore us. We need you as never before. And for this reason we kneel before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all your holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you, Father, who are able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
And Father, we also give you thanks for having Pastor Bill and Kathy with us this morning. We thank you for their ministry over so many years and the growth that has been added to your kingdom through the work and faithful ministry of all the Christian Family Centre churches because of Bill's vision. Bless him, we pray, and the word he is about to bring us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. I'll just shift all this stuff out. Thank you. And uh, I was supposed to be here, how many weeks ago? Five weeks ago? Something like that. But um, I uh, got very ill suddenly. And uh, there's a moral to this. And I actually didn't practice what I preach. I preach this. I say, if you get sudden pain and it doesn't go away and it's getting worse, what do you do? Go straight to casualty. Did I do that? 15 hours later, my wife rushes me there. And um, so they found my, my gallbladder was very ill. Uh, in fact, it was gangrenous and uh, spilling out into my... Any more details? <laughs> yeah, they took it out and uh, uh, then my lungs weren't functioning and they were kind of collapsing a bit and because you, you don't breathe when you're in pain, <laughs> like this. So they took me up to intensive care. So what normally is one night in hospital ended up being six days. So this is my first message in five weeks, and I'm 95% there. My voice is still a bit thin, but next weekend I do all four services at Seaton's. That'll test whether I'm really, uh, really well. And uh, so, but thank you for your prayers for those that prayed. And uh, um, it was a... Yeah, it's not pleasant, but uh, I'm just so thankful, seriously, for the, that Jesus has given us the gift of medical science. And uh, my auntie, in 1961, died of gallbladder disease in Athens. And, uh, and so now it's routine. So, you know, targeted antibiotics and x-rays and all that kind of stuff. And so my, my sisters and I have always had in the back of our minds, you know, like our dear auntie, we remember the grief of my mother when she found out. So it's kind of impacted us. So I thought, gallbladder. So anyway, I'm so thankful for the gift of medical science that we have today and the faith-filled prayers of God's people. It goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Uh, because God hates sin. He hates sickness. He hates disease. He hates death. That's why in the book of Revelation, he's going to remove all that when the new heavens and new earth are created. And so he's given us he tries to help us in our times of difficulty, helping us overcome sin and sickness. That's why he's given us the gift of medical science, because he wants people well and free from pain. And, and so uh, I'm very thankful for that. And, uh, and I was just saying to, uh, uh, to, to Bev, who's got a huge challenge in her life, that you know, when you face, uh, as I did four years ago, uh, a serious cancer, and then this two major hospitalizations in four years you realise, you know what, every day you have is a day of grace. And, and I made a decision, I'm just going to live for Jesus, love my family, be the best possible grandfather in the world. I reckon I've been a pretty ordinary husband, I've been a better dad, but I'm a magnificent grandfather. 
and uh, I've learned a few things. So, um, and, and to add value into people's lives. And no room for resentment or bitterness or hatred or pettiness. You just don't know. Uh, every day is a day of grace. And so live for Jesus. Love people. And make no room in your heart for all those base things that can so easily encroach our walk with Jesus and our loving of people. So, uh, hey, today I want to uh, share a little bit on, um, uh, and I shared this message at the Christian Family Centre at Seton, and uh, particularly all the new people that joined the church, they said, wow, we didn't realise this. And uh, I want to talk about uh, the Christian Family Centre way. We are a church that's been going since 1976. Uh, this is my, Kathy and I, it's our 45th year leading the Christian family. Can you believe it? What were they thinking appointing a four-year-old to, to be the, the leader? Um, so uh, I've, just, I've just so enjoyed. You know, other people my age, I'm 69, they say, when are you retiring? I say, don't swear at me. I said, retirement, I might get refired. I might, but I said, I, 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 if I could have another 45 years, and I pray God give me another 45 years, I'll still be doing it. But I know that prayer is not going to be answered. But uh, I love the Lord, I love the church, and we're just delighted to see what's happening right across the board in our Christian Family Centre churches. And, and of course, I head our denominational family as well. It's kind of another job, um, which uh, I, I've been doing that for two decades and helping steer our entire movement uh, in directions that centre on Scripture, centre on Jesus, centre on the Gospel, the Great Commission, planting churches, producing disciples, sending people all over the world um, as missionaries. So it's a joy to, to be serving the Lord. And so we, um, you know, who, who are we? What's the Christian Family Centre way? Well, we have several core values and what I've done actually is produce this booklet called Moving Forward which gives our core values, our vision, our mission, our organisational framework, all that stuff and we've got copies of that, that's for free at the back, we've got about 60, 70 copies and, and particularly if you're new to the church, certainly read it and reflect on it. Some of my thoughts are based on the book that I wrote a few years ago called The Church We Can Be and that's available there along with some other stuff and, and uh, I don't make any money out of my books, I'm not here to sell books, I'm here to spread the message of the gospel but they can be helpful and give you an understanding of, of who we are and what we stand for. So what do we really value? This is not just our beliefs. We've got a clear statement of beliefs. We have a clear vision statement, a clear mission statement, clear strategy. That's all in that booklet moving forward. Um, but our, if you cut us, what do we bleed? What is it the essence of the Christian Family Centre? Whether I'm in Darwin, Alice Springs, Hobart, here, Seton, there are certain values that we hold very dear. And uh, uh, when I share them with you, you, re you realise that when people come into this place, when they, you know, outside the fellowship that you had, your small groups, there's a vibe, you know. Remember the castle? It's all about the vibe. What's the vibe in the Christian family? What do we really value? Um, well, for decades we've endeavoured to define these and we've defined them in six words six sentences and six small paragraphs. And when I shared this at Seton, 
one of the new men in the church. He's a very, he's a scientist and he's a very accomplished man. He said, Pastor Bill, I've got to point out to you that 666 <laughs> is the number of man. I suggest you look at getting a seventh one <laughs> and make it 777, the doctrine of God. So I wrote to the board members and, and I just joked with them and Dan Potter is part of our Christian Family Centre board because the board is across our, our churches. And I said, hey, some wise spark said this and, and Dan came up with an idea. And I reckon it's pure gold. Is he here now? Where are you, Danny? Oh, he's homesick. And his ideas, I fleshed it out, submitted it to the board, and next Tuesday we may come up with a seventh one. Not a new one, but what we are identifying that it's not like you, you make up a core value. It's who are we when you scrap, you know, what are we? So these six core values describe what we stand for, and they guide all of our endeavours as we live for Jesus and endeavour to serve him with all of our hearts. And they express the culture of the Christian Family Centre, and they centre us on the person of Jesus. So you might go to another CRC church, our denomination. We have 140-plus churches in Australia. We've got probably another 800 or so across the world. And, and so we're, we are Protestant, we are Evangelical, we are Pentecostal. But you might go into one and think, oh, that's different to the Christian Family Centre. That's what we call about the vibe. It's what we call about core values. There are certain things that are unique to us that may not be in other churches. doesn't mean that they're wrong. They might have other core values. doesn't mean that they're heretics. doesn't say that we are better than them. God forbid. But we have to be true to who we are. And uh, in, in our journey. And so we, we've defined these. They're fundamental to our personal lives and how our church should function. They're biblically grounded. They are Christ-centered and they are in people's best interest. So what are they? And when I reflected on this, to, to, I thought, we well, you know the best way to, to describe them is also put their exact opposite. By contrasting them, it helps us appreciate their importance. So here they are, the six. Authenticity, integrity, dignity, stability, proactivity, excellence. What's their opposite? Faking it. <laughs> Corruption, abusiveness, flakiness, faithless unbelief, and indifferent mediocrity. And uh, let me explain a little bit each one. Let me just give you just the, the statement. And it's all in this booklet here, and you can go into further details and, and read our vision and values and all that stuff. But uh, authenticity, this is what we say about authenticity. We seek to maintain... Is it? Ah, there it is. Okay. We seek to maintain. Notice them all as we seek. We're not perfect. We're not there yet. Okay, sometimes when I, when I did this exercise several weeks ago and shared it at our Christian Family Centre together day with our lead pastors and our key leaders, I thought, you know what, Billy, you're a little bit off on this one. They're our true north. They say, this is who we are, this is what we aspire to, and it's not that we have arrived and that we are perfect. God forbid, we are sinners saved by grace. We need Jesus to be at the very centre of our lives. And at times, if we let our sinful nature and the devil have any inroads, we can stray from these. And how we need to 
make sure we come back. So it's good to define them. Authenticity is we seek to maintain an authentic and growing personal relationship with Jesus. Every one of these, we've said it's about Jesus. It's about being real with Jesus. Not being fake in any way. Charles Spurgeon, the the greatest preacher of the 1800s and the prince of preachers. I lived in Spurgeon's sermons for about three years. I read every one of his messages from the New Park Street pulpit. He was 19 years of age till he was 26 and he's just an amazing man. And um, I, love, I love the great Spurgeon and, and what, he, what he shared. But one of the comments he made in his lectures to my students, he said something like this. He goes, fake or put on enthusiasm is sickening. Fake enthusiasm, pretending to be enthusiastic, being something on the platform and you put on the new voice and, and be the drama merchant and you're not that out there and with your family, he goes, it's sickening. He goes, it's inauthentic, it's not real. So I am here what I am with my wife. If we're in the car, I'm preaching to it. <laughs> what do you think about this, Peter? Or at home. And, and you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to be, just when you're on the platform, you'll be a little bit more dramatic perhaps, but you've got to be authentic. We're talking about a growing and authentic, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, we all know the Lord's Prayer, correct? Testing time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins or trespasses as we forgive those who have sinned and trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Wonderful. It's the pattern prayer. But you know, just before he gives that, Jesus talks about prayer. And you know what he says? I hate heartless and mindless prayers. That's my interpretation to it. He says, don't pray heartless prayers. Just going, you know, kind of religious prayers. Don't, don't pray mindless prayers. Think about your prayers and reflect on them. So if I said to you, Soren, I'm going to get you to pray in, in a couple of minutes. You know what you're going to be doing there? You're going to be rehearsing it. You're going to be thinking and planning. He wants me to pray. What am I going to pray for? So you actually do think about your prayers, even if you only have a few seconds. So Jesus says, think about your prayers. You're talking to your heavenly dad. And make sure it comes from your heart. It's got to be authentic praying, real praying. Um, and in, in the one of the paragraphs, in the paragraph I've said here, we outwork this by sincerely expressing our personal and collective worship of Jesus as prescribed in the Scriptures and by serving Jesus in a manner that's creative, relevant and contemporary while always remaining true to our biblical foundations. Hey, we've got to be progressive, modern. No question about that. But we are traditional. We hold to the old. We will never move from Scripture. Yet the application of Scripture has to be in a modern way. Like, for example... I noticed your pastor here wearing sand shoes up on the platform. That's pretty good. The other Sunday night at Seton, I rock up and the song leader is barefoot. I look and I'm thinking, so I had to say something. I couldn't help myself. I said, you know what? 
In the 1970s, early 80s, we dressed in suits and ties. The girls dressed to kill. They looked like they were going. I said, have a look at you mob now. None of you girls are wearing makeup. You boys look like you've come out of the garden. You've kind of have dressed down. And uh, but I said to them, I said, but you know what? I would sooner have the barefoot song leader who's real with Jesus and he led so beautifully, authentically real, than something that's plastic, that we look good outwardly, but inwardly we're full of dead men's bones, like, you know. So the next week I rock up on the Sunday night service. As I'm walking in, all of them turn around and looked at me, and you can't believe it, the boys were dressed in tuxedos and ties, <laughs> the girls were dressed in makeup, they looked beautiful. And I had to take some photo and video of it. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, authenticity is the name of the game. And in this world today, people can pick a fake. They can pick a fake. And in this day and age where there's corruption, whether in government, whether in politics, whether, whether in business, whether in the church, people, Aussies, want the real deal. They want people who are authentic. And Christian Family Centre members and friends this is a very important value for us. The second one, integrity. We seek to be people who adhere to the highest levels of integrity in our ministry and witness of Jesus Christ. It's about being genuine about Jesus. And, you know, we've said things like, by living Christ-like lives of moral and ethical uprightness, so important by diligently and responsibly overseeing our financial operations and, and, and making sure that, that we are beyond reproach. Very important. And today, the media, the world is picking up on stuff if we don't do things right. I've, I've said for years and years, and I've put it in my book, The Leader I Can Be, I said I'd, I would never join a church, seriously, that didn't have public finances, that, that are audited, the books are audited by somebody who's not a member of the church, even a non-Christian, and that those books are publicly presented, not just to government, which we have to, but to the people. That anyone can ask any question. They can ask what my salary is. I've got nothing to hide. I don't set my salary. I've never asked for a cent. Sam has never asked for a cent. Pastor David Smythe, when he was the lead, never asked for a cent. We never have asked for money. We have an independent salaries remuneration body of non-salaried people who make those decisions. And we just submit to them. And, uh, and I think that's so important because it's clean. And we just follow up. What do we follow? We follow the teachers' awards, don't we? So we just follow the state teachers' awards. They just, they've made that decision. The clerical people follow the... So the public service, the government presents its, its salary structures every year. We just follow that at different levels. And so you've got to be clean in those areas. I wouldn't join a church that didn't have public finances. I wouldn't join a church where the ministers, the paid staff, set their own salaries. It's the people's money. They give it to Jesus and it's got to be accounted for. And so we are humble servants of Jesus and the people. And in fact, what we said many years ago, our salary structures should be indicative of what the average salary is in, in, in South Australia, not beyond that. And I know in some scenes that the salaries of ministers are obscene. That's all I can say. They're obscene. To be on hundreds of thousands of dollars when the Prime Minister himself is on about, what, 400000 
He should be on a million dollars. The head of the Reserve Bank is a million bucks. Prime Minister, who's got the decisions of life and death regarding war and soldiers. And I just think, our salaries can't be obscene. I've got nothing to hide. You can ask me what my salary is. I don't know what it is. You'd ask my wife. <laughs> she gets it all and she gives me pocket money every week. <laughs> hey, it's really important. And, and regarding praying for the sick and the needy, we said here, integrity... You know, we seek to, to be people who adhere to the highest levels of integrity in our ministry and witness of Jesus, is we've said this, by outworking Jesus' miraculous ministry in a manner that is always glorifying the Father in the interests and welfare of people and conducted with great sensitivity to the particular needs of people. So we just don't... We're not into the weird stuff. Okay? We're not into weird stuff. We're not into manipulating and trying to assist Jesus and the Holy Spirit to affect grace and power. And, uh, and so you won't find us doing wacky, funny things. And yet you do find that in some expressions of Pentecostalism. That's not us. I say to our pastors and leaders, if you're praying for the sick, I said you put one hand on their head, one hand on the shoulder, and you pray prayers of faith, and you trust Jesus to do the work. And, and, and sometimes there are, there are manifestations that occur of the presence and power of God that is, you can't explain it. Sometimes people fall over. We don't push them. We just say, in fact, if anyone is, is stumbling their feet, we just say, somebody please put them on a seat. I don't want them falling over, cracking their head. And, uh, uh, or, or other stuff like that. It, it's the Lord's work and we represent Him. We can't heal anyone. We can't we don't work miracles. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the miracle worker. We are to pray prayers of faith. We lay hands on people in Jesus' name. We anoint them with oil, symbol of the Holy Spirit. We pray prayers of faith with the expectation that Jesus turns up through the Holy Spirit and will affect grace and power in their lives. And the results are his. And we're not, you know, what I shared to you about the gift of medical science. I've had a pastor who will be unnamed write to me and say, Bill, I think you're relying too much on the arm of the flesh. Regarding medicine, I said, I just didn't even answer him. I just thought, just theologically, you're off the planet. Dr. Luke was a medical doctor. And medical science is a gift from God, and we lean into it. It doesn't mean you're trusting the arm. I trust Jesus working through the surgeon. And my surgeon was a Pakistani Muslim. Really serious man, probably 40, you know, like I thought, I'm old enough to be his father, I'm going to talk to him. And he would come in and uh, give me 30 seconds of his time, out he goes, busy with all the others. The final day when he said, you, you're okay to go home. He's about to go, I said, Doc, don't leave, I've got to talk to you. I didn't say, sit down, sir, I, I just said, and he goes, yes. And then, you do this all the time cutting bladders out and doing gallbladders and doing all that kind of stuff, you know, you do. I said, you know what? You are God's servant. You're a healer in God's name. I didn't say Jesus, because I thought he might be Muslim. I said, you're doing God's work. You're a healer. I said, you probably take it for granted, but let me tell you, as a recipient, I am so thankful that you did the study, that you received all the learning of the generations and that you're practicing it. And I said, thank you very much. And finally, I got a smile out of his face. And he said, Ta, and I'm seeing him next week. So, you know, like, like that's, that's a, we say, we serve God. And uh, we, we are 
Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. And so we, we, we say, hey, listen, healing, ministry. I say to people after they're prayed for, and they might say they're healed, I say, well, go and get it tested. Don't tell me you're healed because you feel it. I said, go and get the thing tested. Go and get another x-ray, get another MRI, go and see the doctor, get the thing verified. And then we will say, praise God, there's been instantaneous healing. That's a miracle of healing. A healing that, takes, that, that occurs more rapidly over a period of a few days. I call that a, a healing that could be the natural process God assisting. A miracle of healing is instantaneous. And if someone says they've got it, I say, get it tested. You're not testifying until we have proof. And then we try and get... What the medical people say, write a testimony, tell us. So we're not being fake, we're, being, we're people of integrity in these areas. So integrity is really important. I could talk about this for a long time. We follow the Billy Graham rule. Billy Graham, you heard of him? Greatest evangelist in the 20th century, probably in church history. And in the 1940s, he and a group of young men got sick and tired of evangelists on the road that were found sleeping in somebody else's bed that wasn't their wife, or that were taking money that wasn't theirs, offerings not accounted for, that were lying about their statistics, how many people got saved, how many, and a whole pile of stuff. And so these guys, they got together, Billy said, we've got to pray, we've got to... And they made a vow, they call it the Modesto Manifesto. You can download it. The Modesto Manifesto from Modesto, California. And these young men laid ground rules and said, we will never cross that line. And, you know, for 60 years, they were absolutely, they were tested in every area, but came through in flying colours with the greatest integrity you can be. To the point where Billy uh, said when he was in Arkansas running a campaign and Mrs Clinton, who was the governor's wife, President Clinton's wife, wanted to see him. And so she wanted to see him personally, privately. And he wrote back to her and says, Mrs. Clinton, love to see you, but I don't see beautiful women on my own. Just come into the foyer and there'll be a, one of my personnel that will be there. And he had an interview with her. And he made that rule. And we basically followed that. We've said to all our pastors, if you're taking people home from church and it's a young woman that's not your wife, make sure your wife or your daughter's with you. Just the appearance of it. You know, it's like, just make sure that you, the officers, we've got glass there. So if I'm counselling someone, my secretary can see in there immediately. So it's not that I fear I'm going to fall. I've been faithful to my wife for 45 years. But it's just the appearance of it. I think, hey, listen... You may not know this, 99.9% of adultery, you know who it occurs with? Your best friends and the people you work with. People just don't make up their mind, oh, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. Adultery will fall out of heaven. No, it doesn't. It's people you work with that you like and they're fantastic. And you might be having a difficulty with your wife. You might have had a season of difficulty. Or you leave home and she's still in her curlers and she doesn't look the best. And you go to work. You go to work and there she is. She smells good. She looks good. She's your secretary. Fantasy can click in. How many men have spoken to me that they've gone on that, on that route and they've wrecked their marriages and wrecked their families and it doesn't ever work? Or your best friends, you get too close, far too close and you cross a boundary. That's where it occurs. And that's, we just say, you know what? It's good to have best friends, but you know you've got to have boundaries. The Modesto Manifesto, when it comes to moral purity, you've got to actually lay it down and say, I will never cross this line. 
I will never cross this line. I won't be alone with a woman on my own where I cannot be interrupted. I won't go extra close. I mean, you get caught sometimes, like at church. This is all public. This happened at the door. This beautiful ethnic lady, she came up to me, and after I preached the message, she goes, oh, Pastor, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill, I just love you so much. <laughs> and, and before I knew it, she grabbed her hand and goes, I just love you so much. <laughs> I just love you so much. And I'm going, yeah, well, I love you too, but... I didn't say anything, but people around there looking at me going, they laugh and their heads off. And, and, and it was innocent. It was innocent. She didn't mean anything. So I'm not talking about being you know, so ridiculous that you think you, you become pharisaical. But you, you've got to protect yourself. This is integrity, practical integrity. And we endeavour to outwork this within the life of our church. And Joe mentioned about the the new governance regime. We have 22, 23 governance procedures now that our board are endorsing that have to be rolled out to every one of our churches. Federal government, state government, local governments. We've actually employed, Christian Family Centre just employed Claire Henning from our church down south to actually oversee it. And so, and all of them, when I've read, I've, I've been reading them all, all of them, Caesar is saying to us, Look after your kids. Look after your finances. Integrity, cleanness, morality. And this is Caesar saying it to us. And some pastors are going, oh, I don't want to have to follow that. Watch follow it. They're not saying break the law. They're not saying hurt kids. They're, not saying, they're saying do it well with public monies and people coming into your services. And so it can be difficult, like finding workers and people to outwork it, particularly for smaller churches. But that's the principles of integrity. Our government is saying this to us. Hey, stability, or sorry, dignity. We uphold the value and worth of all people as special creations of God and for whom Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's about being loving like Jesus. To treat people with the highest respect. Even people you disagree with. You can disagree with somebody without being disagreeable. You can agree to disagree agreeably. This nonsense about cancelling culture because someone disagrees, that's just of the devil. If someone disagrees with them, therefore they're a bad person. No. You're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to have discussion. It doesn't, it's not disordered. It's, it's, it's so important. Why? Because we are made in God's image, the Father's image, and Jesus Christ died on a cross to save us all. And therefore, we have immeasurable worth and value towards the Father. And therefore, dignity is important. And we must be so, so careful in treating each other with the highest respect. And, uh, you know, and it's like I've been in this business 45 years in one church, 51 years as a you know what? I really like people. You can't be a pastor if you don't like people. And I even like the funny ones, the difficult ones, the unusual ones, the ones that cause you pain. You know why? Because it drives me to my knees to say, Lord, help me to love them. I don't have to agree with them. I might even have to correct them. I said, but help me to do it without resentment, without bitterness, to do it with the spirit of love. You know, like... 
Kathy runs our kitchen hospitality ministry at Seton, and you've probably been a recipient of her of her gifts. And so we have people joining the team, and you don't vet everyone that comes. So there's this dear lady that came in, and uh, she was a workhorse. I mean, she served anyway. So one Sunday morning, when they rock up, Kath and, and the women and men that are there, the place was a pigsty. The young people had used it the night before, and somebody forgot to clean it up. So Kath and the girls, they just go and clean it up, but this woman goes, like, those rotten young people, how could they be so disrespectful? And she started mouthing off about our precious youth. So and I said to them, okay, sweetheart, what would you do? She goes, I didn't know what to do, but I just found myself saying this. She immediately spoke up and said, do you know what? We don't talk about our young people like that. We love our young people. We welcome them to the church. We don't want them on the streets. We want them using the kitchen. Yeah, I know they've done the wrong thing. I'll talk with them and we'll get some systems in to help it clean up. And, and all the other team members all go, Dr. Kath. But the girl, the woman, Kathy wasn't abusing her, but she was correcting her, saying, we just don't do things. We don't speak like this. To, to our young, we want them here. Sure, we've got to direct them. You know what young people are like, parents with their kids at home, my goodness. So you see, you've got to outwork it. One time on our, we used to have a, run a Wednesday night uh, service, about, an hour, about 40, 50 people. And uh, it was mostly after work from, say, it was 6.30 to 7.30, just an hour of worship for believers. It was a believer service. So we just thought, look, maybe we should supply some food for those that need to eat. That could be diabetics or whatever. So we provided that, which is great. So they come at 6 and, or, you know, I think it was 6.30. We start at 7 to 8. Anyway, so I'm coming down from the office one day and I can't smell any food cooking in the kitchen. So I, as I go down, I see the pastor who's overseeing it, who will remain nameless, good friend. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, hey, um, what's happened with the food? He said, oh, <clears throat> the team forgot. They forgot about it. They, 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 so there's no food. I said, what are you doing? Oh, we're just not going to do it tonight. And so my immediate response, instinctively, is he cut us, what do we bleed? And I said to him, you know what? I said, we are going to have a meal tonight. He looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me, only half an hour to go. I said, you know what? I'm going to jump in the car and go and grab a whole pile of chickens, see if we can find some lettuce and some, some tomatoes, as long as they're not rotten, and cut them up and let's, let's do something for them. And I could tell... That he was just annoyed with me. Like, what more do you expect of us, Bill? We work like dogs, you know, and, you know, like, I could, I could read the language. And he, and he walked off. And so the next day, I went up to him and said, hey, let's have a cup of coffee and talk. And, and I said, you're a bit annoyed with me last night, weren't you? He goes, I said, no, be honest. He goes, yeah. I'm like, well, I thought about it, why I did that. I said, do you want to know why? He goes, yeah. I said, because, we gave our word on Sunday and last Wednesday that we would have a meal here. Unless we could get on the phone and find out who was coming, I said, we've got to honour our word. I said, we're people of integrity. We, we, we respect people who have made decisions to come here. We've promised them a meal. Some of them could be diabetic. We don't know. I said, that's why it is really important. It's really important that we live by what we say. And that we treat people with the highest dignity. And he really got it. And, you know, he's a great buddy. But it was just like, these things are real, but you've got to outwork them. If you don't outwork them, you're in trouble. What about the really difficult person? 
the relationship wrecker. Well, we had a person come who was severely ill and they were banned from certain medical practices, from certain places they just wrecked the doctors, wrecked the psychologists, nobody could treat them properly and got kicked out of... The last church was a uniting church and they're pretty caring and loving. They kicked her out too, they they couldn't handle her, so she came to us. And so when we found out, we said, oh, okay. And so she came in, she's just gone to be with the Lord in the last year. Very difficult person. And uh, so the, the women that were helping her, she would turn on them viciously. Oh, really crazy stuff. So what did we do? Pastor Jill Still, who's a qualified counsellor, Pastor Cass Tompich, who's, so they sat down with her and corrected her lovingly. And they, in fact, worked out to go to another psychiatrist to get re-diagnosed, and they actually found that was, there was a medical issue that was undiagnosed and she wasn't getting the correct medication. But every so often she'd just go off. What did we do? Did we kick her out of the church? No. There was a time when they said, you know what, you need to have a break for a month and not attend church. I said, because the women that you've hurt are really hurting and we've got to, you can't do that. You can't say those things to them. So, so we corrected her, oh, not me, lovingly, not rejecting her. Why? Because she's made in God's image. Jesus died for her. Well, who else is going to care for her? If the church rejects people that are mentally ill, what's going to happen to them? We have 3,000 people a year committing suicide. Nine people today in Australia will end their lives. 65,000 people attempt suicide every year. Twice the number of road deaths. So, so therefore, we've got to welcome the mentally ill. We've got to build parameters. But that's to me, we've got to be the most loving, giving, caring, and we treat people with the highest dignity. Um, Finishing off this. (laughs) Finishing off this. I'm going to run now. Stability. Hey, we're not flaky. We seek to reflect balance and common sense in every expression of our faith in Jesus. We are about being controlled by Jesus. We don't shift from the scriptures. I'm doing a book actually called Biblical Stability. It's a, it's a booklet now, about 30 pages, and, and I need to do to do it because over the past 51 years, I have seen about 15 extremes come in that take churches and pastors off the main game of preaching Jesus, winning souls, planting churches, producing disciples, and they get deviated to here and there, and they lose focus. The Bible says, the Lord says, I, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I say to people, I am Bill Vasilakis, I change not. I said, there are certain things I'll never change. I said, I'm rooted in Scripture, I'm centred on Christ, we proclaim the gospel, we produce disciples, we plant churches, we love people, we incorporate them into family. And I said, I'm not sick of doing that stuff. I don't need to be sidetracked by some extreme. So when we first got saved, there was this teaching called the Tabernacle of David teaching. Believe it or not, it's resurrected itself in Malaysia in the last couple of years. So Dr. Rob Gallagher, who's a CRC pastor, we, it's a crazy doctrine. It takes the beautiful story of King David where he stripped pretty well naked and started dancing before the Lord, you know, and his wife, Michael, or Michael, said, what are you doing, you silly, silly man, you know, and she, she despised him. So he's rejoicing that the, that the ark had come back and he's just free. Somebody grabbed that scripture out of context, 
linked it into Romans 8 about the manifestation of the sons of God, which is a misconstrued that, and created this tabernacle of David teaching, says, to be really free in Christ, you've got to dance before the Lord. So the Pentecostal two-step was introduced. <laughs> hopping for Jesus. <laughs> now, I'm Greek. I don't mind dancing. But let it be ordered, classical. You know how the Greeks do I mean... I don't mind moving when I'm in church, but to say that my liberty, my freedom in Christ is dependent on how high I lift my feet, what utter nonsense. What about the person who's in a wheelchair? What about the person who's busted their limbs? Their freedom is because of the grace of Jesus Christ that's come to them freely and they've received it by sheer faith. And yet a major Pentecostal denomination in Australia had to have a national conference to decide whether this was a true doctrine or not. Can you believe it? Not this little black duck. We just said, no way. We're not going to be distracted by extremes of worship or other forms. And there's been about 20 of these different extremes. Christian Famous Centre Churches, we ain't moved by that stuff. We're only moved by Scripture. Oh, but God's doing something new. Is he? What's God, what's God saying to you now for 2023? So it's the same things he's been saying for the last 51 years. Love me, love people, share the good news, lead people to Jesus, disciple them, love them. Care. I said, I'm not bored with that stuff. I don't need anything extraneous. So that's why we say stability is really important, guys. Really important. And proactivity. It's an old-fashioned word that was used in the 1990s. I can't think of a better one. You might think of one. Let me know. But we say this, we seek to use initiative to be innovative and ensure that faith undergirds everything we do for Jesus. There's got to be somebody, there's got to be the lead pastor, the leadership team, the people that exercise faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, nothing happens. Somebody has to pray. Somebody has to humble their heart. Somebody has to reach out to God. No miracles happen just on their own. You try and find them in the Bible, where God just moves supernaturally and there's been no human response involved. Very rare. Somebody's agonizing in prayer. Somebody's humbling their heart. Somebody's repenting. Somebody's praying. And, and, and so what you find in Scripture is when we make ourselves faith lightning rods the presence and power of God cannot help but flow nothing happens in God's kingdom unless somebody believes and we must be proactive we've got to use initiative we've got to step out in faith as the Holy Spirit leads us and when we step out in faith God will step in with provisions and grace and power none of the miracles that took place all of our significant miracles over the years that have taken place, and I've enumerated some of those in my books, occurred because we exercised faith, we trusted God. And may this congregation, may you as you come in, be filled with faith that as you sing and as you pray, people coming in will be knocked off their feet. They go, what is it in this place? People recognise the presence and power of God, and the presence and power of God is not mystical. He, he comes and inhabits us when we step out in faith and we trust him, and we sing with faith, we sing with, we preach with faith. In my preaching, I've, I've made this decision many years ago. This could be the last message I ever give, so I'm going to do it with as much faith as I can to inspire you to believe, to put your trust in Jesus Christ.
There's got to be faith atmosphere that we create through our praying, our believing, and, and, and our internal discipline to come expecting that God will work. So if we pray for you today, if people come out, oh, yeah, you didn't pray for me, yeah, all right. I just don't like praying for people. So what are you believing for? I like to see people come out, their hands like this, saying, I'm submitted to Jesus, I'm ready to receive his gifts. Yes, lay hands on me, anoint me with oil, and expectancy that they're saying something's going to happen because you've prayed and I've come believing. That's important. Proactivity. You've got a problem here. You're full most Sundays. There's got to be a faith solution. Sam and I are having discussions on that. There's going to be solutions. Why? Because God wants to double this church. doesn't want you just being comfortable, being nice and comfortable and everyone know each other. There are another 200 people out there that need to get saved and need to come into the church. Well, where are you going to put them? How are you going to do it? You've got to come up with a, with a solution and it's got to be rooted in prayer, faith, you trust the Lord. And it means change. Comfortableness. We have four congregations now at Seaton. Five, actually. The Friday night youth is about up to 70, 80 young people. That's a congregation now. They've got everything happening, like kids coming, getting saved, and they're not part of the normal congregations. So we've changed enormously. We've taken steps of faith, and I think the Lord will. And this facility, why can't we buy it? Why can't we buy it? Come on, let's believe for it. If it's not this one, God will provide something else. It only cost a couple of million bucks. Come on, we can all empty our pockets and, and, and raise some money to do it. We're not filthy rich, but we can all contribute and God, God will do it. As you step out in faith. So, so this is important proactivity. The final one is excellence. Look, we pursue. So proactivity is about being dependent on Jesus Excellence is we pursue excellence by responsibly doing our very best in everything we do for Jesus and by modelling his servant leadership example. It's excellence with heart. It's not slick professionalism. Okay? We're not slickos. And to think, oh, it's just... We, we, excellence means doing your very best for Jesus with heart. I mean, you think of the alternative. I'll do my second best. I was watching the singers here today. They didn't come up here going, I think I'll do my second best today. Third best, done this about 30 times and I tickle here. And They knew the songs, they knew the words and not just technically but faith-wise they gave us their very best and you picked it up. Our facilities, cleanliness, our preaching, our leading, our music, our care for kids. We do our very best. Why? Because God gave us his best in Jesus Christ as a free gift. And in response, it's not to earn brownie points with God, it's to say, Lord, all that I can do is give you my heart and give you my best efforts. And we do it with heart, with a servanthood attitude. We pick up a basin and a towel and we wash each other's feet. That's what ministry's about. Not about someone being better and, you know, why do they call me the senior minister of Christian Family Centre Churches? Because I don't like being called the senior pastor or the head. I'm a minister. All of you are ministers. We have lead pastors. I'm a lead pastor at Seton. But in my role of chairing the board and being the senior, I'm a minister like you. I'm just happened to be the senior. Someone's got to, be, got to lead. But we're not better. We're all serving each other. I've got two or three gifts that, that I use. One's a primary gift, probably a couple of secondary gifts. That's it. There's another 14, 15 gifts I'm hopeless at. She wouldn't want me to do that. 
Get me to preach six times in one day, I'll come out of it renewed. Get me to, to counsel six people with severe marriage difficulties in that day, and I'm wrecked. The next day I'm asleep. I can't handle it. Why? Because I don't love them? Because they're not, that's not important? It's because it's just not me. I, I don't do it really. I can do it, but I don't do it well like others who can just, you know, others do it and, and it energises them. I listen to people's problems and I go, and I feel like saying, do you think that's a problem? Let me tell you about what a real problem is, being married to my wife. <laughs> you think you got married to But of course you can't. I'm a good pastor. You don't do that. But what I'm saying is, that we do, we do it with all our heart. We do it with how God's wired us and the giftings that we have and the abilities that we have. And none of us have got it all together. I can do one thing really well, maybe, maybe two things. I reckon I've got two primary gifts and one secondary gift. But the others, nah, that's not me. My wife, mercy helper and server, I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> I see needs and walk past them. Because I don't care? No, I just don't see them. So, you know, like one of the big fellows at church came to me uh, a few months ago, goes, like my shirt? Yeah, nice. Reminds you of anything? I said, looks like one that I had. He goes, it is yours. My wife gave, your wife gave six of them to me. I said, what? <laughs> I've only got 45 shirts that I don't wear, but I'm a hoarder. I like to keep them. Is that selfish? It's just my personality type. I'm a hoarder. I'm a little bit obsessive. Don't do it. So she grabs them and gives them away. Why? Because she's a server. She's a mercy helper. Not me. I'll collect all my shirts until I die. Then they can remove them. <laughs> Each to their own. God has wired you uniquely. He has gifted you uniquely. And you're a servant of Christ. But when you serve him, do it with all your heart. Don't give him your second best, your leftovers. Do it well. And do it with, with a servant attitude. In other words, you're picking up a bowl like Jesus did in a town and you're washing each other's feet. Praise his holy name. Let's stand together. Oh, Jesus. Loving Father, thank you for this beautiful church, wonderful people, terrific leadership. And the journey that the Hills CFC has been on for 25 years is just beautiful to see so many people that have been touched with the message of Jesus Christ and his amazing love and what he accomplished through his life and through his death on a cross and his resurrection and his continuing ministry through the Holy Spirit today. Lord, bless every person here. Help them to understand our core values. Help them, Lord, to align themselves to those core values. Father, I pray that as new people have joined the church and, and they, they, they understand the vibe, the feel, Lord, as they now have a framework of what our values are, I pray, Lord, help them to see that they're so countercultural to today's world. And, and, Lord, help them to align themselves because we know these values offer our friends, our neighbours, our family members, a view and a taste of genuine love of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to practice them, to, to, to live incarnationally and, and to ensure that we are an effective witness to those that surround us, that they would ask us of why we're we different. Help us, Lord, to be aligned to them because they're, they're rooted in Scripture and centred around Jesus and are 
prefaced on loving people and helping people. Bless this church and all of its people. And in the coming days, may the best days be ahead of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Soren, I had a word for you. Yeah, as you're up there, I just thought, you were such an attractive man. <laughs> no, seriously, you, are, you emanate goodness and love and love and kindness. And, and I, think, I think I've said this to you before. Do not underestimate what's ahead of you. Don't lock yourself into thinking, it's always been like this. I think God has some things for you and, and he's going to give you some keys to unlock that, opportunities for you to fully express all that he has made you to be. You haven't arrived yet. You're a work in progress and your service for Jesus, I think there's going to be some dimensions that you're going to explore because uh, you, you are somebody that people, you're believable. You're believable. You're authentic. You personify these things. And people need role models. They need people up front that, that they can see Jesus in them. And I can see Jesus in you. So don't underestimate what God wants to do. Folks, as I leave, please take one of these booklets. They're out the back. If you want to purchase any of the books, you can do that. But I'd love to talk with you if you have any questions on anything that I've covered. Thank you. God bless you. Oh, thank you, Bill. I might move this one out of the way. So, okay. Well, that's how we're going to finish up uh, the service today. Thank you, Bill, for the message. Um, I think I've heard that uh, I've heard before. I'm not sure where, but that uh, a value is a belief plus action, and ultimately, what it boils down to is what's actually going to move and motivate you to action. It's got nothing to do with what you believe. It's less about what's right because we often recognise the things that are right. We often have the beliefs. It's often it's it's what actually motivates you to move. And so, with uh, thank you, Bill, for sharing about the values. Um, it's fantastic. All right, thank you, guys. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Hang around for a coffee, um, and we'll have some more information about what's coming up over the Easter period from next week on. Go into your weeks in peace. Thanks, everyone.